Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. We have three central planks to our writing manifesto, one to help you write more, two to help you write better and three, and I think most importantly, to help you be a little bit right, happier as you do those things. To that end, we have interviews with other authors. We look at listeners' first pages of their stories or novels and suggest ways to make them even better. And sometimes it's just me doing a little uh, sort of what I call writing ramble or monologue, unscripted. Sometimes I talk about specific aspects of the writing process and uh, give my opinions on them, uh, little essays. And of course, I have some online courses via podcast that you can do. They're completely free. My Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp and my 100 Day Writing Challenge that you can just listen to. And they've each of them have got like a 10 minute writing exercise embedded in the episode. But then I do these things called writing rambles, which are, I call them writing rambles. So they're often about writing, but only tangentially a lot of the time. They're kind of like my little audio diaries where I'll just talk about something and I haven't often planned it and I don't really edit them. They're just me kind of working through something. That's today's episode. That's what I'm recording now. Uh, I just want to give you sort of like a heads up right at the beginning that um, one you know, I this, this is my podcast, so I can do what I like with it. But this may only sort of this may only uh, intersect with writing on uh, a few loose levels. So, if you're hoping for a kind of like tightly uh, argued sermon on something central to the writing experience, uh, I I just don't. I think you're unlikely to get that in today's episode so you might it might just not be for you I, I mean it might of course it might happen it might spontaneously just arise out of me some spirit of uh some spirit of eloquence might seize my tongue and my heart and some stream of great wisdom not exactly of me but channeled through me might pour out and uh, it might transform everyone by the end of the my period of talking but I think that's unlikely and what it's more likely to be is me my, my talking about my mental health and my experiences at the moment because I, I haven't actually been recording the show in its normal form for months because I've been recording the 100 day writing challenge and I used to do these little diary uh, episodes all the time where I just talked about how I was getting on and that would naturally include some of my writing life because it's what I do professionally, so I'm always doing some kind of writing. It's always, it's always part of my day, part of every day of my life, really. Wow, yeah, has got something to do with writing. So it was inevitably, no matter how I tried to stray off topic, I would be talking about some aspect of writing. Um, but, yeah... I, I, I just don't if you're listening to this because you want some you want to solve some aspect of your creative writing I just want to give you fair warning this might not be for you some people really like these episodes they get to hear me kind of work stuff out 
live right the, i'm talking about stuff but they just i often don't get to some kind of super satisfying conclusion because i'm working through this stuff as i talk about it it's a space that i can be i don't know if we're ever quite ourselves right it's uh, me talking and i feel safe to be vulnerable but i suppose everything is to a certain extent a performance right we have certain uh, social repertoires that we learn and then project out and certain identities that we put on and um, this is I mean you know, I wouldn't use anything so pejorative as a mask but there's certainly d- 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 formulas that I'm applying when I when I talk to you this isn't sort of the the real me any more than any other aspect of my life is but it's a space where I feel okay to make mistakes and 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 be I guess vulnerable, although I'm not really making myself vulnerable because, like I say, it's a fairly safe space. So, you know, being vulnerable would be doing it somewhere where I didn't feel safe. But this is actually somewhere where, like, nobody really... People who listen generally don't mind what I say. If you're still listening now, you probably... The bar is set quite low for your expectations. So it's all right to just talk through stuff. Um, And just a heads up, I'll probably talk about some mental health stuff because I haven't really talked about it on the show because I haven't had the chance to and I haven't really been talking about about it online for a couple of reasons one I've been just trying to take as much time off from social media in the news as I can um, because I just found it was making me feel really ill or at least making is too strong a direction of blame right but I the way I interacted with it um, seemed to be cu- causing or creating or adding up to some kind of mental dysphoria I was just unhappy the more I spent time online the more unhappy I felt right that that was my experience but also I don't know like I just had had a cup I found the way I was interacting with the world on I just I just think feel like Facebook but to a greater extent Twitter are just not great places to think stuff out and be vulnerable and be yourself because like most of the time I tell you what like to be fair most of the time when I just talk about stuff on when I've talked about stuff on social media people are just indifferent right which is fine right they're just like you know you just get be yeah by all means be yourself like no you no one's gonna no one's particularly interacting with it but no one's telling you off for doing it so that's fine right you would have thought that's in some ways a lovely you, sh- you shouldn't be putting stuff out there going validate me that's not fair on other people so but of course you put stuff out and then you go and then in that void of just ambiguity because you're not getting a bunch of responses you start going god this, am i being boring am i being tedious have i alienated people does no one else feel the same way i remember when i, I did I worked on one of my solo shows with the stand-up comedian um, Simon Munnery and I can't remember if I've talked about this on the show before but he um, he told me he had this he told me he had this bit in his shows when he was doing his character um, Alan Parker Road Warrior where he'd just shout out has anybody ever felt totally alone and he said like most of the time it wouldn't nothing you know a couple of people would shout out or whatever but like the ideal the two the the ideal response would be like one in six shows or something he said like 
one person in the audience would go, yeah. And then he'd pause and say, well, just you then. And that would get a big laugh. Right? <laughs> Has anybody ever felt totally alone? I don't feel totally alone, but I have been really ill. Um, I think it's okay for me to say here because I think the only people who are listening, uh, it doesn't, I just I just don't think, I think a lot of stuff just doesn't matter so much anymore, you know. Um, but I'm not doing this, this isn't a, I'm not doing a proper public official announcement on social media and stuff, but some of you may have sort of picked up that I've got a, I've got a new book coming out next year and it's going to be about anxiety and panic. Uh, it's going to be about my experiences of them, but also for the last, gosh, it must be nine months now, I've been doing research into anxiety and panic. I've been speaking to experts and researchers across a variety of disciplines neuroscience microbiology psychiatry uh, therapists of very you know, um social clinical and child psychologists uh, sports scientists um cardiologists geneticists uh been speaking to some some meditators some people of different religious backgrounds um uh, psychedelic researchers, uh, people interested in like cold water immersion therapies, uh, so like hi- hypnotists, <laughs> hypnotherapists, um, are, are people interested in like immunology and inflammation and things like that. I don't know if there's like, is that just like an inflammation biologist? Are people interested in things like, I know we've had we've had talked about this on the show before but um transcranial direct current stimulation this idea of like passing electrical currents through your uh, through your brain to try and uh stimulate neurons to get them to fire more easy to i guess i think i think the terminology i'm looking for is lower the action potential of them so they fire more easily and so then when you're doing something you learn it quicker is the theory behind it and transcranial magnetic stimulation this is like and these are as cures for anxiety and depression you know like people actually getting a large figure of eight magnet uh, applied to their head to try and relieve symptoms of depression i mean this is something that's available that you can go and get done now if you have the money uh Things like that, trying to look at where our science is at, how we might, you know, I've read so many articles about fixing, uh, about how we might have new treatments for anxiety and panic and how, you know, five years time, this might be the new thing that we do. This might be like a new treatment. This might give hope to anxiety patients. And I just kept thinking, I'm not sure I've, I can hold on that long and so I wanted to do this thing where I went out and tried to seek answers because I mean I don't think it's any secret to anyone listening to the show but I've struggled for a long time with anxiety probably 15 years if I'm honest I didn't always acknowledge that I had anxiety I just thought I (laughs) lived a stressful life or I was stupid I drank a lot until 2012 so nearly eight years ago now since I quit drinking 
the anxiety had started to get really bad and I thought maybe it was my hangovers, maybe my constant drinking and then having anxiety. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but where you're really hungover and first day you just feel grim and then second day you feel really shaky. I thought maybe if I quit drinking, that seemed like a pretty radical move to me since alcohol was such a big part of my life. And the amazing optimism of drinking as well, just before a big session you'd go oh we're gonna go out and we're gonna drink oh, it's gonna be so good and you know, I, just, I just imagined these gleaming adventures that alcohol was going to unlock and which it rarely did although sometimes you know being pissed and dancing to music late at night in your house even could feel really it could feel i remember feeling really free sometimes after I quit alcohol, my depression kind of more or less evaporated, but my anxiety got a lot worse because, of course, I'd been using alcohol as a way to manage anxiety. And so the book is about my trying to find answers, but and, and scientific ones, although I'd say some of the stuff I've gone into is sort of on the edges of it kind of edges into alternative therapies or stuff that is not got a great evidence base. Um, but I haven't gone to, to like do wacky adventures. I've not gone to see kind of like um, people who, you know, like alternate, like Instagram gurus who I don't have any confidence in, but I'm going to because it would be funny for me to meet someone who's, you know, transparently a charlatan and may have to do some stupid regime that I don't believe in but to create a series of like quirky I just I just kind of think for people reading that's not particularly interesting well, that that territory has already been covered you know and then we, we uh, I, I, I don't I want to get better that's like I've got a dog in this fight I'm not like I'm not just doing it as a joke a lot of us with anxiety disorders, you know, or I mean, even the term anxiety disorders is a bit vague and not necessarily terribly scientific. It's certainly very broad in the purely sort of DSM-5 sense. Anxiety disorders can cover everything from kind of like phobias to attachment disorder to, you know, to elective mutism or something like that. They're all under, you know, PTSD is not the same as... Uh, specific phobia so i you know even uh, this is one of the things you you start to discover is you start to learn a bit about something that you've experienced for years and years right so you feel like you're an expert on you feel like God, i'm just gonna go and speak to a couple of neuroscientists and they're gonna kind of like sanctify the knowledge i already have so when i talk about it i can point to them and go look this is what i think and here's doctor so-and-so who agrees with me just to kind of like sprinkle a bit of sort of scientific like peer-reviewed double-blind controlled pixie dust on the top of the whole enterprise so that my rhetoric and opinions carry more weight and that of course isn't what I found at all I, I, I found that the more I learned the less I felt I knew and the more confused I felt and the blurrier things started to feel and the more unstable the ground beneath my feet felt and then you know the pandemic is happening started 
happened and in the UK at least you know from what I've seen prescriptions for you know a number of items of anti-anxiety medication have gone up by over a third there's been some reporting I haven't looked into the sort of like figures behind it so I you know I should put a big asterisk there that I don't want necessarily and and, and you, you've got to be it doesn't necessarily mean that anxiety disorders have written risen by a third for a start you've got to be very careful because D, I mean in the strictest sense of what the DSM-5 says about something like generalized anxiety disorder you can't be di- you can't technically be diagnosed for it unless you've had it for the symptoms for six months so nobody can have acquired it yet if they it's out of the beginning of the pandemic right you can't have uh, an anxiety you can be experiencing extreme anxiety but you cannot have generalized anxiety disorder secondly uh amongst you know the various sort of criteria for having it it's good the worries have to be excessive and i'm not sure that some people's worries at the moment are excessive if you're worrying about your job if you're worrying about the well-being of loved ones or yourself uh if you're worrying about the future of the world i'm not sure that those worries could certainly it's a like a it, it, it it's a subjective matter of opinion and it's kind of your one is making a philosophical and moral judgment on those things being excessive right i'm not sure that I certainly don't think a GP talking to you over the phone is in a position to make that determination uh, that you meet meet the criteria for that. But nonetheless, people might want medications because we're having everyone's having to deal with a lot right now, a hell of a lot. And the thing that sucks, well, no, not the thing that no, the the thing that sucks is all of that. The thing that sucks, obviously, it's very, you know, I I suppose let me just, you know, let me talk. I'll talk honestly about my feelings and you can ex- please ex- accept the kind of the disclaimer that these are feelings and emotions and they're irrational and sometimes unfa- unfair. And I don't suggest that I'm being sort of um, always reasonable or even sort of kind or wise or unselfish but it's hard against a backdrop of so much suffering to make space for I don't know if you felt this but like your own feelings because sometimes you just feel like maybe pissed off that you can't go to your favorite coffee shop or something like as mundane as that right and yet there are people around you who are dying and then you feel like guilt on top of it you're like who the what a crass piece of shit am i to care about that when like why who how dare i of course that's always been true of any of our feelings of frustration about the most minor things in the world like i can't find the cheese grater i thought i put in this drawer where is it well while you're worrying about that there are children starving in the world there are conflicts tearing countries apart there are people without access to drinkable water that you know there are displaced people refugees making horrendous trips and crossings there are people surviving domestic abuse i mean all of these things have always been true have always been true and i'm not I should say I'm not suggesting that you therefore the way to react when you have some kind of feeling of minor frustration or disappointment or grief is to be like shitful to yourself and go 
you monster. I can't, I'm finding it really difficult to write because I'm home. I was, oh, like I was really looking forward to going on this writing retreat and now I can't do it because of this pandemic or I can't go on this holiday with my family. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a frontline worker in, so how dare I feel sad? I don't think you make the world a better place. You know, you know how, that's, it. It's true that these things are not as bad as other things, but I, I don't know, like being kicked in the nuts doesn't feel any less pa- painful <laughs> because, <laughs> like, you do it next to someone who's <laughs> someone who's been shot, right? It still hurts. It's, it's, I, I you, you know, as human beings, the relativeness of pain and suffering doesn't lessen one or the other. And sometimes it can just make you feel more hopeless because it's just like, yeah, this world is just this kind of veil of tears. And I I was struggling because to artic- I was struggling to articulate what I honestly felt, which was that since October, I haven't had a panic attack through all these different things I've been doing, presumably through all these different things I've been doing. I've been working on my anxiety and it hadn't been anxiety free, but I certainly didn't meet the criteria for generalised anxiety disorder or panic disorder or any of those things. I'd sort of really reduced my rates of anxiety and was starting to feel find ways to overcome it and was actually getting to the stage where I was kind of slightly, in retrospect, slightly, uh, I won't say smugly, but prematurely saying to people, "I've yeah, I've dealt with my anxiety now. And then, as you all know, like the spread of the pandemic, it just felt like these these shutters came down so quickly. It just was like ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. And every day it just got more and more serious and everyone was going, shit, wait, what? And the kind of t- terms in which people were talking about this and the ways people were reacting to it got more and more extreme and for someone who's like spent a lot of their life catastrophizing and worrying and wringing their hands and thinking that burglars are going to break into the house at night um that i'm going to be attacked by someone walking down the street that my wife's going to leave me that my child's gonna my child's gonna die that that i that people hate me you know that people just hate me um it was it was it was it was it was i i know a lot of people who had anxiety who have sort of generalized anxiety disorder or, ser- or consider themselves serious worriers who said that actually during at least during the beginning of the pandemic they 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 were didn't feel they were kind of weirdly serene or they didn't feel that bad as bad as you would expect they maybe dealt with it a little bit better than other people and there's this theory, uh, and it is a you know it is it is one theory among many, but uh, a sort of emergent model for generalized anxiety disorder um, called, I think it's called uh, con- the contrast avoidance model of worry, that says that people with generalized anxiety disorder worry. Not necessarily, they haven't necessarily consciously constructed this as a strategy, but they maintain a high level of worry and anxiety not to try and solve anything per se, but as a strategy to protect, to basically keep themselves in a constant state of dysphoria and unhappiness so that 
they don't experience the sh- such a shock, such a contrast when bad things happen that you don't go from feeling serene to like, bang, oh shit, everything's like the, the, the gravity has gone out in the spaceship and everyone's kind of like floating towards the ceiling, vomiting. You just expect the, you just kind of keep this kind of like moderate chronic level of the alarms on, of the stress hormones pumping out, of just like life is shit, of watching the news, of seeing uh, all the different ways that the world could end, of focusing on the bad things, of of being hyper attentive to people being angry or mean or cruel or afraid, of reading and sharing the articles talking about how human beings are failing or how the environment's collapsing you just focus on those things and you keep yourself in this state of like chronic but moderate misery and unhappiness and worry so that when big bad things happen which they will because that's the human that's human existence it's not such a shock you've kind of braced yourself against it a little bit and the thing was, over the first sort of, over those months since October, I've been really working on being more of an optimist. Or if not an optimist, I'm not worrying so much. So I'd actually, this kind of tight little armadillo ball that I'd rolled myself into, to just defend against the pain of being alive, I just didn't want to just didn't want to like embrace life and live because I was so scared all the time of it all coming down around me and I tried to uncurl myself and then all this has happened and I don't mean to present myself as the primary <laughs> victim of everything that's happened right I'm not saying that But then in that awareness, right, it's like, where are the spaces for our individual feelings about stuff? And I think it's difficult, especially when something happens where it's like people start saying we're all in this together. This is everyone's going through this. Um, When there's a kind of move towards more collectivist responses to things that I think that the, the downside to collectivism is a. Is a lack of room for individual exploration of our feelings and sense sometimes of honestly controlling by I mean I may be hypersensitive to this but controlling by shame and condemnation and that need to control what other people are doing to and it's difficult because like obviously like there's so many problems in the the world of humans that require cooperation and collective responses in order to be effectively overcome and yeah a sort of uh, an artifact of that is that how do you control other people you well you can praise behaviors and reward them you can enforce laws um, and then you've got this kind of soft power of shame and judgment and using social media to say you know to, to make statements about different moral positions and stuff and it's 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 a lot when people are already going through a lot that's quite a gauntlet 
especially if you have any kind of social anxiety, to just suddenly have this like laser grid of new rules and implied judgment. Even if like the like logic behind it you to more or less agree with, right? It's still terrifying. Because you're constantly thinking, what if I mess it up? Um and like I say, I haven't had a panic attack during this period. But and I haven't talked about this really with any any anyone apart from my like close family and stuff and a couple of friends. But um at the beginning of the period I just fell fell apart. At the beginning of lockdown I just collapsed. I just I felt so betrayed by the world. <laughs> like again, this is like magical thinking, isn't it? And it's very I don't want to say selfish because I don't think anyone needs more condemnation at the moment. So I'm going to try and be sort of, if not kind to myself, then at least neutral about what I'm going through in case you've been through it as well. But I felt so betrayed. I felt like I'd worried about stuff on the explicit understanding that maybe it was it wouldn't happen and that the world was always going to be a little bit better than in my heart I thought it would be. You know, the outcomes would be slightly better than I'd feared they would be that I would worry about things almost as a kind of magical spell against that they're happening and that people like my my mum and dad and my wife would sort of say hey it's not it's not you know life isn't that bad and I'd go yes it is yes it frigging is and then then I'd be proved wrong and 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 my sort of payment for this was be a little bit of worry and a little bit of sort of you know, chagrin and being shamefaced. Like, I guess no. What I did, I guess those things I worried about didn't come true after all. Um, but then the world's part was to not make them happen. And this kind of belief, under it all, weirdly, that there is some kind of benevolent force or some kind of benevolent narrative or some just like broadly okay thing shaping the world. Even though, even though so many people suffer, just I had this. I think I just had this heuristic that things would more or less work out, if not for everyone, then for me, the protagonist of reality. And I just was like, I can't cope with this. There's no. There's not going to be any. You know, you can't. You can't go and see a doctor. You can't go and see a therapist. You're sh- stuck in your house. We've got a three-year-old child. I suddenly couldn't do any work. She was stuck home with us. She couldn't see her friends. She's too young to, you know, video chat with people or do things independently. So me and my wife both expected to do our jobs while having no childcare. We're both stuck in the sa- in the house twenty-four-seven, seven days a week. Can't see my my friends. Can't see my family who I love in just so much and I know this is like true of everyone right um to a certain a great relationship not not the childcare stuff and some people have been furloughed and but some people have lost their jobs or have gotten gonna have nothing to go back to and it's just like how do I apply this stuff how do I go oh yeah so I gotta do a bit of exercise and remember to breathe and this is you know the diet I should be following or maybe I could journal about it and it's just like this is just like a frigging sledgehammer of of shit and I didn't know what to do and 
I won't say that I wanted to I won't say that I wanted to kill myself. Sorry, I feel a bit ashamed about talking about it, but I would say I didn't really see any way I could live. Sounds so I know it sounds dramatic and stupid. I I know. I just didn't see any way for me to keep going in the world. I didn't feel like I was useful or built for the world and I didn't really see any future that I could imagine myself being happy in and I felt so many things towards so many different emotions I like a lot of love towards everyone around but also missing people but like love also feeling like I couldn't quite summon up the hate I used to have towards people I disagree with a feeling of like we're all family followed by this feeling of oh shit my family are dying and they always have been suffering and I can't protect them I ended up calling the Samaritans it's not the first time in my life I've called them and just hyperventilating and crying to this really lovely woman who, who listened it was I just and I ended up like I just I ended up saying like I'm writing a book about anxiety and what's the point because I can't because like life just can come along and do these things and we can't control them and it's like how like so much of the assumptions we build about like dealing with mental health like anxiety and panic is based on I'm sort of poodling along in this stable kind of middle class world full of middle class concerns it's like hey spend a little bit less time on on Twitter take up boxer size do some you can't yoga away a fucking pandemic you can't digital detox your relatives back to life you can't fucking you can't like fucking journal and positive affirmation a relationship that's collapsed be it romantic or a friendship or with your child you can't you can't just resurrect those things through these little bolt-on daily practices and I, I'm talking about them angrily but I don't I'm not looking down my nose at anyone who tries to because of course you would grab onto them but they and I was talking to this woman from the on the phone from the the Samaritans and I was crying and I was t I ended up saying oh, I've been doing this freaking book and now I'm not sure what I don't, don't even know what any of it means like I did all this research and I, th I thought I understood 
And you know what? I thought I'd kind of... I thought what you did is you found out some answers. And then you stopped having a certain type of feeling. I thought maybe I could find out, I could do a certain amount of meditation or running or, you know, take a certain drug, have a certain transcendent psychedelic religious experience, grasp some fundamental truth, speak to some person of great wisdom or academic learning and they would pass on something or I'd have some realisation, I'd hit some epiphany and it would be just like coming around from a dream and I'd be like, Ugh, and I'd wake up sort of like bathed in sweat and I'd be like, ah, and I'd be fine. And then I could move through life with this lightness and freedom and just kind of beneficently hand down that wisdom to others that I could be a help and I could be present and I could be loving and I'd feel ease and joy every day of my life I would be like I'd yeah like I'd kind of retired to to the fields of Elysium and I I I, I, I t said I, I said I've look after I was saying to this woman at the you know while saying you know that I felt like her life wasn't worth living and crying I was saying look I I've been you don't know like I've spoken to every expert in the world that I could find like internationally renowned experts people from the textbooks I've, I've read literally hundred I've had to te learn how to I interpret a correlation coefficient or you know understand what p-values are and what p-hacking is and what uh what a systematic review is and how to interpret study design and uh, and what the impact factor of a journal is and, and what publication bias is and uh, understand all the different objections to different disciplines and why things aren't as easy as it seems when we read articles about stuff and uh, and I, I'm I've spoken to so 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 many people and I've done all this stuff and I've been meditating and meditating and meditating and I've been running off you know I've 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 I, I came off my meds I lost three stone I've um been I've gone from not doing any exercise at all to running sort of over 25 miles in a, in a single session I've been I took up boxing I've been exercising I you know I've been uh I, I i i've taken drugs <laughs> to try and achieve this and spoken to 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 therapists who deal with like psychedelic therapy i've I, i've i've journaled i've been to hypnotherapy which i didn't even you know there's not even an evidence base for i've i've gone swimming in freezing water when it's been minus two outside and there's been ice on the ground um i, I i've gone just swim, swimming in a river to try and replicate studies i've i understand the theories i've read the I, i've looked i've spoken to psychiatrist about the psychopharmacology of these things and, and, and what i could take and how it's working in the brain i've seen rat studies and, and studies in rhesus monkeys i've looked at the possibility of having bits of my brain removed with psychosurgery like i've, I've done everything i've done everything so, uh, i've done everything 
and it's not it doesn't it's not enough it doesn't it doesn't save me from this like i'm still falling apart and some other people aren't some other people seem to be able to you know they're not pleased but they can kind of just accept it i thought i could figure it out and 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 you know what you know what she she really listened and she, she and, and and when i was nasty about myself she said i didn't need to be and it sounds really dumb but like it just it makes such a difference to i don't know if any of you have listened to the episode i did with um i i i i don't know if you listened to the episode i did with mike shell the um fantasy author he also has written some uh, a, a, a bit for um for the um role playing game pathfinder and he happens to be and i didn't know this when i first contacted him but uh his background is in being a, a, an an, an anxiety a therapist specialising specialising in anxiety for over twenty five years, and in that show, at the end of talking to me when we talked a bit about anxiety, he said to me, um, and I paraphrase, but he said, you know, he used to come in with first session with like uh, a client, and he would talk them through the kind of fight or flight response and why panic attacks happen and what's going on in the brain and that kind of like cycle of, of panic and how we get sensitized to it and um, you know the co- cognitive distortions that might be going on in our heads and things like that and um, he knew all these different modalities for understanding what people were going through and treating them and he said but what he realized is that it is all for naught all of that until someone feels that they've been understood To be listened to, to be heard, and fundamentally to be understood. I know it seems stupid because it's like, what can that change? It doesn't change your outside circumstances at all. But it does sort of make a difference and I don't really understand entirely. I'm not sure I can articulate why. But one thing she said to me when we're talking, she said, it seems like a lot of this is about control. I started laughing because I was like, oh my God. My whole writing of this book is, (laughs) I thought I was trying to beat anxiety, but in some way, the whole project was dictated by anxiety. Anxiety, a lot of it, and I've heard this from a lot of different theorists and therapists and researchers, is about the it's about our tolerance to uncertainty and our tolerance or intolerance towards like lack of control. And There are a lot of events in one's life that can suddenly put you in a situation where you realise you don't have control. Bereavement, chronic illness. You know, I mean, I haven't... I've not been in a position where I've been, you know, put in hospital for a long period or where someone I love has, you know, been stuck in hospital for a long period 
with sort of in, invasive treatment for some con- condition. Uh, you know, I've been bereaved and I've had people I love go into hospital, but they've tended to, you know, pass away quite quickly from or, or recover quite quickly. So there's things that can happen in your life, you know, a car accident, all sorts of things, or, you know, that, that, that can just suddenly thrust you into a position where you, I'm not sure whether you suddenly don't have control, but you suddenly realise you never had control. It sounds a bit glib when I sort of say it like that, because it's not something that is always part of my lived experience. It's just something I feel aware of. And I was suddenly like, oh shit, this whole book has been like my attempt and desire and longing and this kind of belief that I could take the feelings of anxiety and panic but also this fundamental feeling of being a human being and not being in control and the future not being certain and I could take them and I could fucking nail them to the wall and I could speak to experts across multiple fields multiple disciplines I could speak to people who have spent 50 years in their chosen field and I could absorb everything salient that they knew and then I'd speak to someone else and I would would get something from every single field and I would gain this kind of like this almost like preternatural knowledge about my enemy anxiety and fear and terror and dread and worry and panic and I would understand them and I would know and then I would kill them and I would control them and I would have ultimate ultimate control and power and if I sound like a super villain now I don't think that's accidental because I think that is the psychology that drives a lot of super villains is the desire for certainty and control right and I would have control and then I would just throw the switch and I wouldn't feel afraid again I wouldn't feel vulnerable again I wouldn't feel terrified again I wouldn't feel like someone might leave me again I wouldn't feel like I would be abandoned again I wouldn't feel like I could be hurt again I wouldn't feel like someone I care about would be hurt again I wouldn't feel foolish again I wouldn't have those feelings that cut that started come up to come up during the beginning of the lockdown where I felt like it felt like the time you know when I was back at school when I used to be bullied that where like the bullying was at such an extent I was scared to get up in the morning I found it hard to sleep I was constantly terrified of going to school I used to climb through a hole in the hedge between my house and the school so I wouldn't encounter them on the way into school I between lessons all the time I just felt like what if I bump into them I used to I, I learned to walk with my head down something that it took me to my late 20s a habit uh, to get over of so I wouldn't make accidentally make eye contact because that might start the the the, abu- the abuse they I mean they even one of them even like broke into my house when I was sleeping and I woke up to find them coming up the stairs that feeling of being trapped and not having control just kind of came rushing back. All, all these different feelings of times in my life where something's gone wrong, of like when my relationship, previous relationship fell, fell apart and I realised that my partner had been seeing someone else and the time when I was in a, a pub and two people held, held me down and two other people blocked the doorway so I couldn't escape um someone kind of confronted me and and then the time when I got when I was a child when I someone jumped out and held me at knife point I 
all of those feelings and things started coming back. And I think so much of anxiety is actually this kind of almost mothering instinct, this touch, I'll never, I'll never let you be in that situation again, I'll protect you. And it's why I was talking to a PTSD therapist. And people it can seem so perverse sometimes, like somebody blaming themselves for some trauma they've been through, you know. Like, you know, I suppose like in the most extreme case, like being abused as a child. Someone can cling on to the idea that that was somehow their fault. And you can just, that can just seem so like, why on earth would you ever blame yourself for that? Would you think that was your fault? And of course the answer is, not of course, but the answer is, because if it was your fault, then it was a controllable event. It was, it was within your power. If you were bad or wrong or just stupid, it was in your, within your power. And if it was within your power, then if you just learn what you did wrong, you can avoid it happening again. And in some ways, the more terrifying thing than you did this to yourself, this was your fault, you idiot. I'm only telling you you're an idiot to protect you is actually we can't stop bad things happening to us, not in any absolute way. We can sometimes reduce the incidence of, of certain things, sure, but we don't have control. And I, I was speaking to the woman on the phone and I, I just started laughing. I was like, oh my God, this is about control, isn't it? This is about control. This is about control. I think it's why I found writing so hard is because so much of it is about losing control. You know, you try and learn different writing techniques. You try and practice. You try and read as many books as you can. I'm going to learn the secrets. And I'm going to be able to write these perfect books. And I just can't. And, you know, it just mistranslates. It comes out funny. It's like having a dream where you try and speak and the words don't come out as they were in your head. I, you know, sometimes I feel I can barely write a sentence and I I'm not exaggerating. I can't phrase a simple action or explain something in a, in a, in a, in a way that makes sense and feels all right. It just is so clunky and hard to be say something simply to communicate well. It's such an, a raw engagement with my lack of control. And then you put a book out and then it's just crazily out of your control. Like so much of it is out of your control. And that can be rough whether it does really badly or if it does really well. Because how, how do I repeat that? What did I do? Who do these people think I am? You know, how am I going to let people down? And it kind of wasn't you. <laughs> like a, so much of it is arbitrary. So much of it is incredibly arbitrary. And there's this theory, I don't know if I talked about it before, called the th fair world hypothesis. This idea that like some people cling on to this idea that the world is fair or believe to a certain greater or lesser extent and it can be in different domains. And I'd say that there's, you know, sort of a, a lot of, you know, there's critical positions of this 
uh, and hard and soft uh, versions of it as well as a theory. But it's really hard to believe that the world contains a series of levers that you can press and the results you get back might be really unrelated to what you do. Like if you believe the world is fair, then there's a certain comfort in that. You get in, you get out what you put in. But if we actually look at the world, we see that is not true. And people who believe that, you know, I've seen some of the studies where they look at people who, who sort of seem to believe various statements that correlate with kind of like the world is fair. You get in, you get out what you put in. People tend to get what they deserve. You know, the world tends to reward you for um those are the people who tend to, if they're given a narrative about a woman being sexually assaulted, they'll tend to attribute the blame for that assault to the woman. Because if the world's fair, then it must be to a certain extent your fault if something bad happens to you. They've done studies where they showed a group, um, somebody doing a answering questions uh, they, the group were told it was part of a sort of military training uh, program. The person was answering questions and when every time they got one wrong, they were separated by a screen. Every time they got one wrong, they'd get an electric shock, this person answering the questions. And the group were asked to rate how much they liked the person and they were given things like these ordinal scales where it's like, how well do you think this person would get on with your friends? Uh, and things like that, the likability of this person. And um, if the group couldn't do anything so basically they were showing this person would keep getting questions wrong and getting electrocuted if the group couldn't do anything oh by the, and by the way this person was an actor it was all fake but they were believed that this person was going to if the group believed that this person they were watching was going to continue suffering was going to continue getting electrocuted um and the group couldn't do anything to intervene they would rate them as less likable uh, than if they didn't see the person suffer. Now, the theory behind this, and again, this is like one psychological study, so we've got to be very careful about, you know, things like replicability and how generalizable it is because we can create artifacts in the in the lab situation that just don't happen in vivo, that don't happen in real life. But, you know, I'm just saying this as a kind of thought experiment. That the, 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 you know, the, the interpretation of this that was given was that, if we see someone suffering and we don't feel like we can do anything about it, then to preserve our sense of the world being fair and our own fears and stuff, we um, we blame them. We imagine it's their fault and a flaw of their character. We denigrate them and devalue them to make ourselves feel better and more in control because feeling in control is one of the key ways that human beings attain a feeling of safety. And that applies to yourself. That if you can't... If you can't see an obvious way to stop yourself suffering, then you will blame yourself and hate yourself. Because it still makes it seem like it's something in your control. I'm... I have good days and bad days at the moment. I had to phone the Samaritans... A Two more times, I think it was, after that. I, But I started off, you know, 
fighting for my life hour by hour with feelings of hopelessness. Feelings of failing my wife and failing my three-year-old daughter who just needs me, who just needs a father to love her and I was just not okay and I couldn't call people around. You know, I couldn't ask my parents to come to help look after her or I couldn't go and see a therapist, you know. I And I, and I, and I tried, you know, drug interventions and stuff and then I and, and then I fought to get off meds and, and and find ways of sort of sustaining myself and, and so it just felt like everything had gone to shit and I felt so guilty because there's so much you know people were other people were kind of getting on with stuff and planting turnips and uh clapping the NHS and 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 making funny videos and bringing stuff online to support each other and Said, you know, putting out funny pictures of what they were doing during lockdown and we're all in this together and painting rainbows and here's me going, I just don't want to live. I can't live in this world. I can't live in it. I just don't see any hope and I don't see any place for me in it. And when's it going to end and I can't control it and who can save me? I need someone to come and save me. I want my mum and dad. Oh, I couldn't. And there was nothing. Oh, and it just brings you up against so much. And any of you who've been suffering, you know, if you've if you're if you've been suffering, I'm so sorry. Because it can feel because whenever I used to have these big things of feeling crap or feeling like I wanted to die or feeling useless, it'd often be against the backdrop of most other people around me's lives being all right. And so someone could meet up with me and go for a walk in the park. So people could come and see me. So people could talk. And I didn't feel like I was imposing. And these resources existed. And the world seemed to exist. And, and sometimes they could point me towards the world and go, look, see, it isn't that bad. And now it's like, I would say I'm really suffering. And people would just respond. I'd get angry because people would say, everyone's finding it really hard at the moment. And they meant that, I think, as as comfort but it just felt like someone slapping me in the face and going how dare you have your own feelings I don't think that's a fair interpretation of what they were saying at all or maybe it was you know and, and they were suffering as well it's hard and it's why I haven't really talked about it online because I didn't want to just like be just pooing in other people's like mental paddling pools with like going I'm suffering but now I feel like I can do it on the show because I don't know because it's mental health awareness week at the time I'm recording this and fuck we just need to be able to talk to each other we need to be able to have those intimate vulnerable clumsy con conversations because you know what mike shellstead said about the value of being understood you can only really be understood if you can find your way towards articulating stuff yourself because you might not be able to say what you're going through you might not be able to understand it. And this effort after meaning that we had in the episode with James W. Pennebaker, where he talked about his work with people writing about the most um, traumatic experiences they've ever been through and how that seemed to precipitate emotional and physical improvements and recovery and some quite amazing things that he seemed to find and be able to replicate in his studies You know, maybe this, and maybe this is, and I'm not just trying to like tweak, you know, like hang writing on this. So it's like vaguely this episode has been about writing, but maybe, you know, what we do when we write, when we talk to people, when we have a genuine open conversation with other human beings is 
I don't know if it's a form of control, but that feeling of... I read in a book recently that, like, you, diagnosis is treatment. That even misdiagnosis, even if the diagnosis is unscientific and wrong and misguided and not supported by, uh, like, a decent body of evidence, especially when it comes to psychological conditions it can take away the dysphoria of uncertainty and not knowing it can stop you being just stuck on a waiting list an authority figure says this is what's going on and this is what you need to do to get over it you know they found that people who take four placebo pills a day instead of one show better recovery in like medical conditions as well as just like psychological ones they found even like open label placebos i read a study open label placebos so people know it's a placebo they're taking um helped reduce self-reported exam anxiety um but just having something to do and someone to say this just having some story for what you're going through some name for it you can only be understood if you understand, if you to some extent can articulate what you're going through yourself. Uh, or you do that in cooperation with someone else. I think in terms of like writing, writing diaries, writing, you know, journaling, writing even stories and stuff, I think it can help us in times of real human suffering, which are universal and constant and not just limited to a pandemic sadly um it can help us inch towards frameworks of meaning and understanding and i do think having some kind of even if it's entirely self-constructed even if it shifts some sense of meaning some finding meaning in things is part of the grieving process isn't it I've seen it called like the sixth stage of grieving. You know, you have denial, bargaining, anger, depression, acceptance, and then meaning. And actually those stages can repeat and cycle and all sorts of things, but this kind of like move towards meaning and integration, even if it's kind of a meaning that other people as long as that meaning doesn't become something that you then feel you have to defend against other people's interpretations otherwise you'll lose it you know it's not something you cling on to because it's threatened by what other people think i think working towards meaning can make a huge difference and it sounds dumb like because it's like wow what the fuck does that change about the world well it doesn't but that's not under your control and the exact nature of the meaning isn't under your control either but being able to do something, you know, even if we're just pressing a placebo button or a placebo lever, we believe we're influencing the world and we're not. Um, that's the that's that amazing that amazing line in in our in in the poem. Our pook question is control controlled by its need to control. Answer: Yes. We have a need to control, and maybe we have a. Then you can that can sort of metamorphose into a need to control, control by not needing control. And I think maybe we just 
you know, we can't stop ourselves wanting and desiring certainty and control, but we can recognize those things and accept them, those little demons, and try to love them. They're trying to protect us, you know, they're trying to mother us, they're trying to keep us safe from being bitten by a snake or being hurt. And we just can't, we're going to die. Our relatives are going to pass away. The hurt is going to be tremendous. You just cannot avoid it in the human experience, in this uh, incarnation, which might be our only one. You know, we might get to the end of it and all our memories disappear and human consciousness doesn't survive death and we just rot down into the soil and that's it. Right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But... I do feel like through creating, constructing narratives and meaning and, you know, having these deep conversations with people where you just, you know, where you're able to talk about how you're feeling and what's worrying you and people share their story, you know, when people have shared their stories about something they've been through with me not just on the show but like people I've interviewed for the book as well that sense of connection it feels like a sense of connection not in a sort of top-down legislated collectivist this is what we're going through this is the national mood kind of thing but it feels like a very authentic human thing that, that doesn't feel like an invasion or an imposition or it just feels like well you know it's kind of like like so many things it's all about kind of like informed consent and and that kind of intimacy you can have when you talk to someone openly i think can be really transformative and helpful and it changes some stuff while changing nothing it doesn't give us control but it can give us back our connection with each other so i'm not coming away from this i don't have any prescriptions or suggestions uh I do think, you know, in the fullness of time that the things I've done to engage with anxiety have really, really helped me through a lot of this. Um, but we can't avoid, we can't opt out of being human. We can't avoid the tragedies of being alive and being human. The soreness and the vulnerability and the, and the just the frigging crazy pain of being a human alive in this world and knowing what other human beings around us, the tragedies they go through. And, but we can turn ourselves towards things we value and we can love ourselves, you know, in the middle of it and accept our failings and, and accept the moments where we just go, I can't do it, you know, and falling apart and not being able to control our need to control and I just I don't I think you've probably had enough people telling you what to do how you should feel how you should cope giving you tips I, th I think you're probably sick of it right so I'm not going to come at the end of this and say what I want you to do is this or how you should behave is this or here's some ways that you can deal with it um and maybe the process of finding those is something that can be meaningful in itself. I know I'm going to just try and find ways, either professionally, you know, making an excuse to do it via my book or just, or otherwise, to just have some of these deep talks with people. 
about what matters, about how people are feeling, about their stories, about their lives, about their memories. I just feel that's the closest I get to touching something valuable and meaningful and hopeful. I'm afraid I don't have any more to add than that. I think that's the end of the sermon. I hope your writing's going okay if you are writing. If you're not, don't feel, please don't feel guilty or attack yourself or it's just it's just it's just all of this is nuts. And you don't have to do anything to be worthy of being in the world, you know? You are inherently valuable just for being a person and being alive and being here. You're completely unique. You haven't existed before and you won't again. In all this vast universe, there's just one you and your way of understanding it and negotiating with it is okay and you're doing all right. I'm sorry I can't just airlift you out of it into something wonderful I genuinely am hmm if you have got a first page of like your novel or a short story like reasonably polished but that you'd like to send me I'm going to do some episodes where I look at people's first pages and do the kind of traditional first page feedback episodes because I know that those are popular and people like the format so send me if you go on my website timclapert.co.uk you can send me uh, your first 250 words just plain text title your name that's all i need i don't want the explanation of what the story is but just the first 250 words not from the middle or anything like that and i would advise if you haven't listened to one of the episodes where i look at someone's first page and give some first page feedback do listen to a couple just to so you understand the format and what you're kind of um letting yourself in for I, I, I tried to be sort of as honest as i can about the actual piece while being completely not personal it's not about the person who wrote it um and it's not about ragging on somebody you know it's not a referendum on your right to exist as a human being you're amazing and wonderful and worthy of love and happiness and joy and wellness and all those things so it's just about but you can go to yeah timclairpoet.co.uk there's a little contact me link if you click on that and just drop me your first 250 words uh and the title and your name and that's all i need um i hope that you're all right if you like what i do here you can um buy one of my books the honors or the ice house there's links in the show notes or you can just drop me a few beans to my coffee page ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. I hope you've been enjoying some of the interviews I've been doing with authors um, to start this season off. Uh, and there's a big back catalogue of episodes that you can listen to if you want to just hear me chat about different things. Whew. Who knows what's going to happen, eh? I certainly don't. It's uncertain and it's not under my control. And to the extent I can accept those things, life hasn't generally been copable. And to the extent I can't, I've tended to suffer. 
knowing that doesn't necessarily make it any easier, but that's my observation. Just, you're wonderful. I just, I, my heart goes out to you. I love you very much. I hope you're all right. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>